0: I'm with Mark Dunderdale today. I thought Stuart could not be with us, but we are holding the fort in his absence. How are you doing, Mark?
1: Uh, well, I'm okay, never mind how, how I am. I, after listening to last week's podcast, I'm a bit worried about your state of mind.
0: Um, I've just been discussing with my school friends what stage of grief we're at. And I think that I am in between... Well, let me just have a quick look at this uh, this photo. So I think that at the moment I'm between bargaining and depression. Uh, mainly depression. Uh, we're recording this okay. on the Thursday yeah. after the Sunday before, and I must say that I feel sad the whole time. So how are you feeling? Tell me about your experience. Was, 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 were you, were you, because you were on a break, were you back at home before for the final? Yeah,
1: yeah. We, were, we were on holiday all last week, so I was away for the quarterfinal and the semifinal matches, and we came home Saturday ready for the final on Sunday, um, and we know what happened then.
0: Yes, I guess this was your son's first tournament. He can probably probably remember going forward.
1: Would it have been, or can he remember? Yeah, World Cup. Yeah, yeah. The World Cup was a bit. He's six, so he'd only just turned three for the World Cup. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. He he just wanted to play football the whole week and and watch football. And uh, he was sat next to me on the couch during the games. Anything I said, like oh oh, that was close, he'd just shout it out as well. (laughs) uh, You know, so it was great. We it was. Very good bonding experience over the football, actually.
0: Yeah, that's good. Was, was he able to stay up to the end of the, the Sunday? or, or The
1: semi-final he did, but on the Sunday I went out. Um, I wasn't at home for that one. But yeah, the semi-final, week, if he had gone to bed, I'd have woke him up cheering yeah. the final whistle anyway.
0: Well, that's a nice memory for him, at least. I mean, that's slightly better than... What's the first one? Can you remember Mexico 86 or are you, are you Euro 88?
1: Very vaguely, because I do remember the FA Cup final in 86, which was obviously Interesting. before the World Cup. Hmm. Um, and I just remember... I, I just remember, The only memory of the 86 World Cup was my dad, how angry my dad and my brother were with the England-Argentina result.
0: Yes, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, by
1: 1990, I was 11 at the following World Cup. And me and my friends made a point to make a big deal out of the whole thing, uh, watching all the games. So that was the first one I remember start to finish.
0: Yeah, see, I don't remember '86 at all, and I don't remember that um, I'm a couple. Well, what am I? A year, a couple of years younger than you? Couple, yeah, a couple uh, of years.
1: Four, uh Yeah, two years.
0: Two years, yeah. So I don't remember that '86 final at all. But I remember seeing pictures of it afterwards, um, but I do remember the '87 final and, and I remember all of Euro 88 which was absolutely dire particularly yeah. my dad being very annoyed when England lost to Ireland in the first game of that one but yeah 90 you, you never really forget your early early stuff so at least that's a hopefully a positive for Charlie but he'll he'll. I think maybe he will expect that we always do well tournaments. that, that whereas, is the worry yeah yeah, yeah. well it's actually I think that um oh I just it just gives me a <laughs> sore sore heart and bad heads even thinking about it let's move away from football before my heart shatters again Um, and we're going to move into mid-south wrestling hopefully this is going to cheer me up cheer you up if you need cheering up too um, so, Jim Ross and Joel Watts are at the desk today. Joel is wearing a truly vile black and white plaid shirt with a yellow patterned tie on it. Atrocious, and that gets a minus 10 on the Boy Pierce fashionometer. Ross says that the nightmare would be there this week, plus Dick Murdoch and Dutch Mantel. Butch Reed returns and Joel said that DeBiase and Williams would be in action versus Brickhouse Brown and Mark Reagan. A new team in the Bounty Hunters will be here and Jake and the Barbarian will also be on the show. Plus Mike Graham, the son of legendary promoter Eddie Graham, making his Mid-South debut. We then cut, cut to a sit-down interview with Ross and country music star Jerry Reed. And Jerry Reed says he watches it at home and he said it was one of the most entertaining, entertaining things, and easy for me to say, entertaining things in the world. He added, you hear a lot of pros and cons about wrestling and that wrestling fans would fight you over wrestling. He talks about going to a municipal auditorium in Atlanta to watch the matches. And he had seen things in wrestling that could make his heart stop. He said the fans were right in there and you could relate to the wrestlers. Ross looked hilariously serious throughout this, but I thought Reed did a nice job here. So what do you think of this opening here and this, this use of this country music star, Jerry Reed?
1: Um, It was nice to see, because I fondly remember Jerry Reid for playing the role of the snowman in all three Smokey and the Bandit movies.
0: Oh, I had no idea. Okay, great facts. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: there were Burt Reynolds classics, but he he wouldn't have got very far without the snowman being his wingman. Um, And he performed the legendary theme song to it, Eastbound and Down. But um, younger listeners... Yeah younger listeners might recognize him as the evil coach in the Adam Sandler movie the water boy that's uh, something else I've seen him in um but yeah for jim ross um rather than a serious expression i thought it was it was a sort of enthusiastic gaze that he was <laughs> he was giving Reed, throughout he was nodding his head and he, he appeared to be maybe a little bit starstruck. I thought,
0: yeah, yeah, I know what you mean it's just like he was intently concentrating on what this guy was <laughs> yeah. saying, wasn't he? Just almost like he didn't want to upset him or offend him by the yeah. slightly wrong facial expression, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, um, do you remember watching the Fast show,
0: yeah, yes, I do, like, yeah, yeah.
1: It, I, I just had memories the way Reed was speaking of uh, the Ron manager character where he was sort of it was sort of a ramble about, well, we went to the shows and great wrestling and good shows and and, and like that. But um, yeah, mostly it was Jim Ross that left an impression. Um, and, And it was just nice to see a man who's, you know, suffered from... Bell's palsy for 20-something years, seeing him smiling and being very expressive. It was yeah, so nice absolutely. To
0: see- I had no idea that Reed was such a such a big star. Obviously, I just couldn't be bothered to research that. So thank you for doing my job for me. Uh, Joel said that Mid-South Wrestling was the number one rated syndicated TV program in the country. I'm not sure on what basis this was determined or whether this was kind of wrestling exaggerations, but I do know that their local TV market ratings were, re- were really, really strong. So perhaps per capita in certain markets they were the best and this is what they were referring to knowing bill watts i suspect this was a this was reality rather than made up what did you think think on that
1: yeah i did note in my notes that it said that the number one rated syndicated sports program so syndication is a bit of a um something i've not really looked deep into but um there might have been some truth in it it it'd be nice to think it was
0: yeah they, um, they threw down to Boyd, um, who got some terrible static before he could announce the wrestlers. Another insult for the man. who used to be on commentary most weeks. They so can't even get a microphone that works at the moment. Uh, and this was Tommy Pritchard versus Mike Graham, who Ross called one of the best junior heavyweights in the world. He added that Graham was a two-time powerlifting champion in Florida and we shouldn't be misled by his size. Joel called Graham a great outdoorsman. He loves to fish and hunt. And he's hunting down the competition in Mid-South. So, Mark, how old do you think, um, Mark, crikey How old do you think Mike Graham was in this match?
1: Uh, good question. I, I would, my first impression, I'd probably say early thirties, thirty-two.
0: Hmm, 33, uh, 33 So I think when I wrote that and I did a little bit more research about about Graham, I thought that this was like this. He must have had a run before this, but the way they were presenting it, it was almost like he was debuting in wrestling here, but that wasn't the case. Um, He won with a figure four leg lock in just over three minutes. I thought this was fine. Any thoughts on this Graham versus Pritchard match here?
1: Yeah, there was a bit of back and forth technical wrestling to start with, including a crisscross, which is always fun to see. Mm. And um, there was a good spot where Mike Graham caught Pritchard with a big hand immediately after taking an atomic drop. And both of them uh, went down at the same time. I like that. And um, the figure four leg lock must be the most popular holding Mid-South. Uh, we used to seeing Ted DiBiase, Ric Flair, Terry Taylor using it. And as well as Mike Graham here, I think Joel Watson commentary said it was Mike's father's finishing move and he was the one who taught it to Jack Briscoe who used it to full effect um, as well. It's, it's,
0: I, I think, I've, I've mentioned this on the show before, but it's interesting use of Pritchard who had done main event matches in Portland with Ric Flair and now he's enhancement talent here, isn't he? I think he got a slight, a little bit of a slight push right at the beginning but he's just not you know not in not using any sort of positive way at all and going into break we got a nice little Jerry Reed insert and afterwards Ross what Ross had described as a press conference with a nightmare so back from break we threw backstage to so Oliver Humperdinck and Eddie Gilbert sat on chairs with the champion having to stand up in the background which I thought was a bit off Oliver said that he was making his return to Mid-South and he makes his money managing when Eddie cut him off and Oliver said he'd get to him in a moment He says he does very well and he pays very well. Gilbert asked what the purpose of of them being there was. And Oliver said he'd had some negotiations with the nightmare in recent weeks. And he said there were a few problems between them management wise. He said he realized that Eddie was a great wrestler, but he doesn't know managing like he does. He's announcing today that Gilbert is out and he is in. Gilbert said Oliver must be mistaken. They came in together Oliver, I thought was great here, said the man's schedule demanded a more professional arrangement. He said that Gilbert could have a lesser role when, when Gilbert, then Gilbert stood up and grabbed Humperdink and the nightmare spoke and warned him off. I thought this was interesting and a pretty well done segment here. Uh, and obviously the reintroduction of Sol- Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, what did you make of this?
1: Yeah, I, I thought Humperdinck was really good and I liked what was being said on both sides, the way they work this through, uh, it did seem like Eddie Gilbert was a little bit off with his delivery. Like it, I don't know if he, if he knew what his role was supposed to be in it, maybe, but that was maybe just something uh, I was picking I, I'd noticed, but um, you, you said there about Mike Graham, it, it's hard to tell how old Oliver Humperdinck is with all the hair on his head and his face. Um, could be 25 could be 65 so i looked into that and uh, it turned out he was 36 at this point
0: was he okay um, but that yeah clearly a tough paper and probably quite a tough lifestyle i think yeah, i think so yeah
1: um yeah. But I, I did a bit of research on him and there's not a single mention on his wikipedia page of working in mid-south at all how because uh, he was he was wwf
0: uh was he with bought with um bam bam bigelow after yeah, this the, wasn't he yeah uh, the
1: WrestleMania 4 World Title Tournament, he managed Bam Bam, yeah. yeah, so that
0: was 88. Yeah. I remember Bam Bam was quite a big deal around there. I think he had a, a house show tag team run with Hogan, where they were team. But I believe that Bigelow... I can't remember if it was New Japan or All Japan. It'd be easy to look up. I'm not going to. Um, one of the two he wanted to continue working with and WF were pulling their wrestlers away from that at that point. And I think that's why the first sort of Bigelow push sort of came to an end, I suppose, around that. Actually, WrestleMania 4 might have been... Oh, no, I suppose he was He was on Hogan's team at the first Survivor Series, wasn't he? So WrestleMania yeah, 4 would have been so. just after that. Yeah, so that would have been the same same run. and um, as they normally do with the segment, what followed was a nightmare in action. Humperdinck, in a lovely white suit, took the microphone and said he was the fans' manager of the year five times and that the dreaded nightmare belongs to me now, Daddy. Uh, the nightmare was up against Frank Lane. And while Lane got in some offense, this was a largely a squash and not a massively interesting one that ended in two minutes and 12 seconds via, via pile driver. Um, anything to add on this short nightmare and Frank Lane encounter?
1: Um, yeah, getting back to the claimed to be a five-time manager of the year. I assumed it was maybe the uh, pro wrestling illustrated awards. Um, okay. They were created in 1972, so I did look that up and um checking through their list of winners, humperdick Dick on- only ever won their manager of the year once in 1980. Mm. Um Bobby Heenan was the only person to win that award four times uh, between 1972 and 1991. And uh, just something else I noticed, that award was retired in the year 2000 as managers in the big three companies were dying out by then. Um, I just wondered, could you tell me who you think won Manager of the Year for
0: 1999? 1999? Um, I can't even really think of too many managers that were around in that point. I, I don't. Uh, can I have a clue? Would it, was it someone that was in the WWF or WCW at the time? Or yeah, maybe WWF. WWF okay. The, the,
1: the clue is the third runner-up was Paul Bearer. The second runner-up was Bill Alfonso from ECW, and the first runner-up was Jimmy Hart. So it was another WWF manager who won it, and this may be the reason they then retired the award.
0: Uh, I mean, '99 would have been too early for Stephanie McMahon. I would have thought, because she only turned at the end of the year. Um, yeah. Hmm. I'm going to have to pass on this in my favor. I'm going to kick myself in a moment when you tell me who it is.
1: The manager of the year 1999
0: was Deborah. Oh, with well, Jeff Jarrett.
1: <laughs> yeah. Jeff, Jeff,
0: yeah. And Owen Hart, I suppose. Yeah. Crikey.
1: I mean, that's, um, yeah. Yeah. Getting um, into the match, it, it felt at times like uh, Humperdinck uses twice as many words as he really needs to when he's uh, talking, I felt. Um, if you ask him what time it is, he'd probably explain you, to you how to build a watch. Um, <laughs> And then the match went ahead. There was a slight mix up on a, what looked like a crossbody attempt, but they awkwardly both crumpled to the ground. And Watts covered for that by describing it as an unorthodox body press. And um, yeah, Nightmare won with that pile driver. I've always liked that move. It looks devastating and Nightmare's had frequent success with it since he came to Mid-South.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you've seen in the clips, and I haven't mentioned this, but obviously we lost um, Paul Ondorf last week, um, who was in Mid-South before, before sort of the, the the era we were covering. But some of the clips of his pile driver, especially on some of the kind of job guys and superstars and wrestling challenge around that time, is 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 pretty hardcore, isn't it, in terms of... I mean, I presume he was. it's just the execution of it looks so good, but yeah. It's, it's where,
1: where he actually leaves his feet and jumps into it. Yeah. It looks great.
0: Yeah, incredible. Um, So next up, we had Ted DiBiossi and Steve Williams versus Brickhouse Brown and Mark Reagan. Um, As the babyface team was coming out, I couldn't help but think this is ending via a loaded glove shot and a replay of the same finish I feel like I've seen so many times recently. Um, Williams showed some great aggression at the three and a half minute mark, running in the ring with Reagan in his arms and slamming him into multiple turnbuckles. Brown took an incredible bump from a close on from DiBiase and landed on his neck. Williams then stampeded him, and then they won clean as a whistle in four minutes and 40 seconds. So, no, no weirdness in this one, no loaded glove. And I was quite shocked about this. Mark, what did you think of this, you know, me, medium sort of middling length tag team match between these four guys?
1: Yeah, I was surprised how um, a straightforward uh, finish it was, uh, knowing how Brickhouse has had a bit of momentum here and there um we got constant reminders from joel watts that jake roberts and barbarian are the ones next in line for a title shot so um i'm I'm assuming that match will deliver the goods even if it is a bit of a heel versus heel dynamic um i I know i say it every time i'm on mid-south moments but ted dibiase is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers even the basic no thrill stuff like punches kicks knees to the gut they all look so good and i love watching him work um yeah, they both worked on Reagan for a while, leading to what I thought was going to be a hot tag to Brown to come in and clean house. But when it finally did happen, Brickhouse never even got out of the blocks. Dibiase took him straight down, tagged in doku who then won with the Oklahoma Stampede.
0: Yeah, these these guys. I mean, they, they Dibiase and Williams won a lot of matches recently with um, with interference. But it's interesting that Brown and Reagan always get good reactions. And, and obviously, we don't know we don't know what's happening on the, at the live events and what sort of what sort of um, reactions they're getting and what sort of tickets are being sold but I do find it quite interesting with some of these baby faces that get good reactions and then next up you get Dick Murdoch and Dutch Mantel, and and I've watched a few episodes in a row so I can't remember particularly which one was which in terms of his reaction but Dick Murdoch's not getting amazing reactions in some, some of his entrances here and he's out to Um, Some music which Shazam very helpfully informed me was the Marines hymn by the Goldman Band, which is the official hymn of the United States Marine Corps. And before the match could start, Ted DiBiase interrupted and said that Murdoch had been shooting his mouth off and lots of things have changed around there. He said he told everyone how he got him into West Texas State. He had offers from 19 different colleges to play football based on his own ability. And Murdoch never did anything for him apart from shoot off his big mouth. He told him to move into 21st century, baby, and ended up by saying he should keep his big mouth shut or he'll shut it for him. Murdoch responded by saying that when DiBiase came out of high school, he was so dumb that he what? I could not understand a word that Murdoch was saying. Did you catch any of this, this no, dialogue from him?
1: I didn't catch that either. Um, no it, it was it was odd. I thought that you know it started with Murdoch taking credit for getting DBS into West Texas state like you said um it just seems odd to a modern day WWE fan because they rarely acknowledge the background of their wrestlers these days um Matt Riddle being in UFC for example it's never been brought up No
0: that's that's weird isn't it because you think that that's like a legitimate you think if that was 97 or 98, Ken, what they did with Ken Shamrock, Like you thought yeah. he was, you legitimately thought he was like, I know that the lines might have been, I don't think, the lines were and they weren't blurred because you knew it was all predetermined, but you believed that he was like, you know, an absolute killer. But actually in reality, he wasn't really. And his yeah. UFC career was okay before that and nothing I special
1: think, at all afterwards. I, I think the UFC had a different image with the general public in the yeah. 90s compared to later on as well. It was sort of, Anything goes in those days. Yeah. So WWE could claim, you know, now he's in a proper federation with proper rules, that kind
0: mm. of thing. Indeed. Um, so in this, basically, going back to the Murdoch and DiBiase exchange. Um, Murdoch then said, I think that when he was in Oklahoma, he couldn't even make an X, didn't understand what that meant. He said, if, he, if they got rid of the little worm rat, little worm rat, quite enjoyed that, Dutch Mantell, DBS would turn tail and run. Mantell then did leave and DBS and Murdoch went at it. And this didn't go very long until Mantell basically attacked Murdoch and they clashed heads after running the ropes. The champion then came in and went for the pile driver, but was reversed out of it. Murdoch was on top against all three men and was helped out by Butchery. And they cleared the heels out. And Reed and Murdoch shook hands. What do you think of this kind of melee uh, and this this non match here? Basically,
1: I actually really liked it. I thought um, I agree with what you said about Murdoch didn't get a great uh, reaction on his entrance, but. Uh, the crowd came alive when he was on offense against DiBiase and it didn't last long as Mantell attacked from behind to make it two on one. Um, but then when the nightmare came in and Murdoch countered the pile driver, the crowd really, really popped for that one as mm. well. And then um, when Butch Reed ran in to make it three against two, Jim Ross went into what we know as vintage JR mode. He was absolutely screaming as the babyfaces fought off the heels.
0: Yeah, he does, he does like a good job. I've got a question for you on what Mark's very kindly we're doing three episodes. I don't know if it's this week or next week, but I've got an underlying feeling when I'm seeing Murdoch and some of this stuff, but I'm going to wait for that question in my notes and not be premature with it now. Um, next up, we had the excellently named Mark Hawke going up against Haxel Butch Reed, making his mid-South television in-ring return. And Ross called Reed the number one contender for the NWA World's Heavyweight title. And Joel said that he personally would love to see Reed win that title. Reed would ultimately challenge for the NWA World Title in a number of mid-south promoted events across the summer, including going to a sixty-minute draw in the Superdome. Mark Hawk hit some awful-looking punches in the corner before Reed fought back. Hawk took an interesting-looking forward roll bump over Reed's back after being hit with a fine fly, fly, and then after that, uh, he was hit with a flying body block for the win in around two minutes and forty-eight seconds. What do you make of the return of Butch Reed here, and also the excellent Mark Hawk?
1: Yeah, I, I, I tried to find something in the match to talk about. I didn't really get much from this other than the commentary throughout was all about Butch Reed being in line for the NWA title shot. Um, he won it with the shoulder tackle, his his established finishing move. And besides him beating him up, there was nothing else much to this one.
0: No, and it's interesting, actually. We've moved from... Um, and we didn't really get this in the much in the last 18 months or that I can recall. We've moved from Terry Taylor kind of feuding with Flair and that being... And, yeah, an underlying storyline to Butch Reed going for the NWA title, whereas I guess their relationship was probably, at this point, maybe pretty strong around the time. So clearly they're using that as a storyline device as one of their top guys is going for that world title.
1: It's just odd that um, we don't really get a, a conclusion on TV. Obviously, yeah. they're talked about on TV for the big matches that aren't televised. What happened between Terry Taylor and Ric Flair? I don't think ever got mentioned after that run. No,
0: I guess that people might. Well, he's not the champion, but people. I guess their their um, thing is they probably don't want people. To, they don't want to push that to their complete ter- you know territory audience. Um, to, to so that people know that he lost. Basically, I suppose. And Taylor Taylor isn't around in any of these shows that we watch, is he? So I'm wonder. I'm wondering whether he's off doing something else at this time. Um. Back from the break, we got a full recap of the Duggan and Zamboui match from last week and the post-match beatdown of Duggan. Um, I've not got, got anything to add on this recap. Was there anything in your your sort of notes on this uh, this um, attack on Duggan from last week?
1: No, it was nothing really worth getting into. I did... Um... Right in my notes, the Mid-South Job Squad were led by Terry Daniels. But,
0: yeah, no. Terry Daniels trying out to try and make the save. Predictably, he did not make that save. Uh, Joel said that the terrorism continues and there are many things that are precious to different people, but few things are as precious as someone's eyesight. And in the ring, we had the debuting bounty hunters. And these were two big, terribly out of shape guys with lots of facial hair. I didn't do any research on them, uh, but they looked like twins to me. Did you any really dig- did you do any digging on uh, the Bounty Hunters?
1: I tried, but I didn't get very far with no. it. Um, I just thought they looked a bit like um, the big boss man when he was started out, when he was um, big Bubba Rogers working with Jim Cornette in the yeah. NWA. They had that look to him with this long, straggly goatee beard.
0: Yes, yeah, the sort of uh, individuals that you wouldn't like to be sat in the middle seat of on a plane <laughs> or something like these two either side of you. Um, they were up against the far more impressive looking Wendell Cooley, along with Mike Nichols. And Ross said that he didn't know anything about this team, apart from that they were extremely big. And Joel speculated that Akbar must be behind these guys coming in. And as if by magic, Skander Akbar was then shown at ringside, as Ross said that next week, the Bounty Hunters would be in action against Bill Watt and Jim Duggan, which, judging on the first minute of these two, is bound to be an absolute in-ring classic. This ended in 1 minute and 42 seconds when Bounty Hunter 1 did a dodgy-looking slingshot so that Bounty Hunter 2 could do a dodgy-looking clothesline. Thoughts on the Bounty Hunter's Mid-South debut here?
1: I I just noted that finish. It was the the catapult move, which I always liked when done well, but if your knees sort of slip from the other guy's <laughs> knees, then it's not going to go well at all.
0: It's just dismal. This is awful. I think we we you can, we've just we just said, spoiler alert, they brought these guys in to, fuck, to face Bill Watson, Jim Duggan. I wonder what's going to happen. Um, next up, Jake Robertson, the Barbarian, in tag team action versus Larry Clark and the long-awaited return of the Red Raider. Robertson, Barbarian, got a solidly... solidly positive reaction from the fans here following their kind of semi babyface turn albeit I say that they, they've kind of done that once already so I don't know whether these are, these are tweeners and may go back the other way after they've had their their title match and Jake actually got some chance for him after getting going as well as Ross said that these two were the number one contenders to the Mid-South Tag Team titles and um, the Barbarian hit a second rope elbow drop tagged in Jake for the DDT which drew a decent pop and the win in two minutes and we got some more Jake 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 chance as uh, this was Closing out to break, what do you think of Jake Roberts and the Barbarian versus Larry Clark and mid-south favorite, the Red Raider? Here,
1: uh, yeah, the quote-unquote Red Raider was wearing a white and blue mask, yeah, and uh, black (laughs) trunks. Uh, but anyway, um, there was, uh, yeah, there was the noticeable chance of Jake, Jake, Jake in the early going, and then just before the finish, they piped up with DDT, DDT. Yes, knew that was coming, so the crowd are definitely behind Jake. and yeah, he, he doesn't seem to be working any different to when he was the hated bad guy. Nope. I think the crowd are just into what he brings to the table.
0: All he's done, and and this is this is this is such a good example of this. All he's done is he, and I presume this is stemmed probably from him getting cheered at house shows, maybe especially if he's in with a snowman as well. You can imagine some wretched matches and people like rejecting him, but he's he's not changed his character. All he's doing is promo in exactly the same way, but against heels. And it's yeah. like so many times, it, Roman Reigns is a classic example of this. When some of the, some of the verbiage that, that he was given in his first kind of singles run as a baby phase, it's just like, what would Steve Austin ever say that? No, we, well, none of your babyfaces should be, and you don't have to go as hard as Steve, Steve Austin. But also, you think, well, someone's got to be cool, haven't that? At the same time, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Roman Reigns, in six months, once crowds are back, maybe less, not that I'm watching any WWE, um, get, starts getting cheered if he just carries on doing exactly what he's what he's doing. Um, we then got a new video on the Fantastics set to the song "Tush" by ZZ Top. So this starts with the boys topless by the side of the road trying to get a lift. They actually speak here in a wonderful moment saying they just need to get downtown as that's where all the girls are. A red car pulls up as if they're going to let them in, but cruelly they then drive off. There's some shots of them hugging the crowd and some in-reaction. And I just want this to get away from the ring and back onto this road and find out what happens. Rogers and Faulkner then shown standing fully clothed in the fountain, fountain singing along to the music. We then get some rather pervy shots of ladies walking by. Um, the guys seem to be dry. I don't know how because they've just been in the fountain. There's a random pigeon shown and some more odd shots of ladies. I'm shaking my head at this point thinking that Joel has gone down in my estimations with some of these you know, unsavory shots. The guys are then chatting to some girls now and the red car is back and there's two ladies inside and they are motioning to our heroes. And they're in. Hooray. The red car drives off. More <laughs> ringside hugs and that's it. And now I, l- I looked up the lyrics to this unbelievable bit of songwriting from ZZ Top, and the chorus was, I ain't asking for much. I said, Lord, take me downtown. I'm just looking for some tush. So <laughs> firmly ticking the category of both creepy and blasphemous. What do you make of this Joel Watts creation?
1: Uh, I-, I made a lot of notes. Let me go through them uh, <laughs> briefly here. They-, they usually use pretty current songs for their music videos. Uh, But this one was 10 years old in 1985. Was it really? How interesting, yeah. Um, The use of the word tush in the song is a double entendre because it is obviously a slang word for uh, buttocks, but it can also be known uh, as a slang word for luxurious or lavish. I didn't know that before I looked (laughs) it up. Some Uh, tush tush
0: apparently they were looking for.
1: On the WWE Network version, they used an instrumental track, which was, to be fair, very ZZ Top-esque, I Was thought. it? So, okay, so good. Well done to whoever did that edit. Um, I did write, same as you, it starts with them hitchhiking, shirtless. Um, <laughs> and they want to get downtown because that's where the girls are. Uh, they got mugged off by the red car. And then one of Joel's trademark techniques in these videos is having the wrestlers lip-sync some of the song lyrics, and they did that um, in this song. Uh, I remember first spotting in the Butch Reed video where they did it. Uh, lots of close-ups of young ladies' um, tushies and uh, a pigeon strutting around. I believe you <laughs> mentioned that. And then towards the end, they're surrounded by a group of beautiful young women. The red car from the beginning comes back and they ditch the other girls to jump in there, which I felt like was a questionable move.
0: I think Joel might have had a lot of cheese the night before he recorded this one because there was something going, maybe something a bit stronger. But yeah, this was just it was okay, but it was just a, it wasn't one of his best ones, I don't think. Um to Joel and Jim recap what we see on the show and they talk about what's coming up next week. We've got Watts and Duggan versus the bounty hunters, who Ross oddly calls bastards. Did you catch that? <laughs> no, I no. said versus the bounty hunters, those bastards. <laughs> Ross. Us Al Perez versus Steve Williams, and that's it. Uh, what that seems to have flown by. What did you make of this July twentieth, nine 1975 episode of Mid South Wrestling?
1: Oh, you froze a minute. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I did Go. like. Yeah, I like the two tag matches, and um, Jim Ross mentioned in that roundup at the end that all four guys in the tag team picture—DBSE, Williams, Roberts, and Barbarian—have all never looked better, and I would agree with that. Mm. Um, like I said earlier, I'm sure that if their big title match is given a bit of time, it will be very good. Uh, but I'm not sure whether that will be an arena show exclusive or whether we see it on TV.
0: Yeah, I suspect a arena show exclusive. Um, I thought this was all right. I, I am not massively feeling some of the things that's going on in this promotion at the moment, and we'll talk about that more uh, next week. But until then, thank you all for listening, and we shall speak to you all again very, very soon. Yeah, this is Eric Watts. And for all you phenomenal wrestling fans
1: and fans of this podcast, please do me a favor. If you're looking at uh, more information about Mid-South Sports, Power Pro Wrestling, Universal Wrestling, go to UniversalWrestling.com and check out that website. It's a must-see.